The slide that you uh, see up here is going to be our next sermon series. It's called Come Come Join the Mission. And I will begin that sermon, sermon series on September the 16th. So it's going to be about mission and vision of the Village Church. So if you have my friends who don't know Christ or friends who are looking for a church, please invite them uh, to come join us for this sermon series starting September uh, the 16th. And if you have your word, your Bible, please open it to John 17. We will be looking at verses 20 through 26. And also, for all new members, there is a luncheon for you after the service at Diane and Wayne's Blocker's house. So uh, the blockers are right here. So see them at the end of the service, and they'll give you directions um, to their home. So here's God's beloved word to his beloved people. Beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may know that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me before, before, to see that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the word, we ask for the Lord to speak. We need you to move. Because preaching has no power apart from you, Holy Spirit. The preacher is just a man. The preacher is not part of the Trinity. The preacher is not part of the Godhead. The preacher is no closer to you than, than uh, in any believer. So, Holy Spirit, you are the one who makes preaching powerful. You're the one who, who uses it to change the hearts of God's people. The preacher does not. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will move. Move in my heart. Because I need the same grace. I need the same truth as everyone else. So, move aside my pride. Move aside our pride. So that you can do a work in us. You know what we need to hear. You know the encouragement we need. You know the reminders that we need. You know the rebuking that we may need. So give us what we need. In love. And in truth. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. On September the 19th. 1796. A letter by the. Uh. A letter by the first president of the United States was published published in a newspaper called the American Daily Advertiser. The letter was originally titled The Address of General Washington to the People of the United States on His Declining of the Presidency of the United States. The letter was later changed to George Washington's Farewell Address. And President Washington, he issued many warnings to the American people throughout 
this letter. Warnings like the rise of political parties as a threat to national unity. He writes in this letter, the unity of government, which constitutes you as one people, is now also dear to you. It is justly slow, so, for it is the main pillar of development of your real independence, the support of your peace at home and your peace abroad, for your safety, for your prosperity, of the very liberty which you also highly prize. But as it is easy to foresee that from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many clever devices implored to weaken in your minds the conviction of the truth, as this is the point of your political fortress, which against the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often overtly and subtly directed. It is of infinite moment that you should properly esteem the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you should cherish a cultural and habitual and immovable attachment to it, accustom yourself to think and speak of it as the pendulum of your political safety and prosperity watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety and disapproving whatever may even suggest a suspicion that it can in any event be abandoned and resentfully frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of, any portion of our country from the rest, weakening the ties which now links together the various parts. Prophetic words from the first president of the United States. Words that are echoing in our time, shouting from the east and the west, from the north and south. His warning is really a reality. National unity within our country is weakening because the various parts are so divided, isolating themselves from one another, pledging blind allegiance to their particular group and tribe, and dehumanizing and demonizing those that differ. You see, unity among any people group is hard to maintain. It's hard. To, well, that's an amen statement. Okay. It's always under attack. It's always being threatened. And the same is true for the unity amongst Jesus' people. It can be under attack. It can be threatened. It's hard to maintain functionally. Do you agree? And Christ knows that. That's why in his high priestly prayer, he prays for unity amongst his disciples, unity within the universal church and unity within the local church. He prays that they might be one, that they might be functionally one. One of the greatest examples of unity in America happens every fall in the South. Man, some of you know what I'm talking about. You see people from different walks of life unified together. You even see them making plans to attend church together on Saturday. They even prep the whole week for church. And they even tailgate before the service begins. If if they can't go to the service, they gather in their homes in small groups. In preparations for the worship service on TV. They even decorate their vehicles. They paint their bodies. They even dress alike, too. Wearing the same colors. The unity among them is a result of a common source. A common source. And a, co- and a common a source is a person, a place, a thing where which something is obtained. 
College football is a source of unity in the South. It, you can do better than that. College football is a source of unity in the South. Okay, come on now. You know y'all get ready to worship. I know I am. It's a stated source and it's a functional source. See, that, 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 see there, there, are, there are other common sources that unify people together too. Social media groups, social movements, ethnic groups, political parties, church, Christian movements, kid activities, peer groups, stage of life, economic status, suffering, music. Commitment to a common source can unify people. The same is true for us. And what makes a person a Christian in this country isn't the prefixes we put in front of Christianity. I said that again. So there's unity in, in, amongst the believers. And the same is true for Christians. There's a common source that we have. And what makes a personal Christian in our country isn't the prefixes that we put in front of our Christianity. Because there are prefixes. Nationalistic, conservative Christian, progressive Christian, cultural Christian, pro-life Christian, pro-choice Christian, sunken place Christian, woke Christian, activist Christian, moral Christian, missional Christian. We have all these things we put in front of our Christianity. And the prefixes don't make us a Christian. Saving faith in Jesus alone makes a person a believer. And if you don't know him, then he invites you to know him. He asks you, will you come? Will you come? You need Jesus, even if you don't sense it, feel it, or think it, or believe it. You need him. We all need him. How do you come to faith in him? First, you confess your sins to him. You confess him as Lord. You repent of those sins. And then you surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Romans 10, verses 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified. And with with one's mouth one confesses and is saved. Don't have faith in prefixes. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in him. Have faith in him. And if you already have faith in him, then don't make those prefixes prefixes a substitute source for what unifies you with other believers. I'll say that again. If you already know Jesus, don't make the prefixes in front of your Christianity be the source of what unifies you with other believers because they are not the source. They are not the source. Your denomination is not the source. Your local church is not the source. Our theology is not the source. Our traditions is not the source. Ministry is not the source. Our Trinitarian God is the source of Christian unity. Period. Okay? Period. He unifies all believers together, regardless of age, gender, nationality, race, or culture. The unity among believers is centered and connected in the power of a triune God, who he is and what he does. He is our common source. And are we functionally committed to that source? Now, you can say we're committed to it on Sunday when we sing about it, but functionally in your life, who is your source? Who are you committed to? Jesus prays in verse 11b, 
Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Preserve them, protect them, guard them, that they may be one, even as we are one. How are Jesus and the Father one? What is he talking about? It's a reference to the Godhead, the Trinity. All kids, how many persons are there in the Trinity? Three. Can you name them? Yes. Yes. I love it. Yes. I love it, babies. I love it. Three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. That's who our God is. And from all eternity, there's been a unity within the Godhead, a oneness that has been in place before the foundations of the world. That trinity is a source of our Christian unity. These three persons work together to make it possible. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, through Christ Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In Ephesians 4, he says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and belong to and belong to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. In First Corinthians 12, he says, for just as the, for just as the body is one with many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Greek, Jew, slave or free. All were made were made to drink of one spirit. Christians don't make themselves one. They don't produce the unity. Believers can't make it happen. It's given to us. We're brought into it. It's supernatural. The unity is real, even if it's not functionally being lived out. Please know that, because it's supernatural. Every believer here is unified with one another. Because of our common source, our Trinitarian God. Something happens when a group of people come together around a common source. What happens is really it's a natural progression. It's a natural progression. Take, for example, the game Fortnite, for example. It's a common source that has unified many kids and teens in our country. Please know that. It has captured their little hearts their time and their money. I mean, parents are even playing for, paying for their kids to have a Fortnite coach. Can you believe that? $20 an hour. Because they want to enhance their child's skills in the game. That's commitment, saints. And gamers who are unified around Fortnite, they also become witnesses to the game. They can't stop talking about it. Have you played Fortnite? Do you play Fortnite? It's the greatest game ever. You see, their commitment to a common source naturally leads them to become a witness to that source. And the same is true for Christians. Their unity to, in, in the common source is Yahweh Elohim. And their unity has a common witness, a common witness to that source. It's a natural progression. It is a witness to the world, a witness to people who don't know Jesus. Look at verses 20 through 23. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their name, that they may all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
they, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Christian unity is a witness to the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior of sinners. So that the world may know that you have sent me. He's talking about his finished work on the cross. Him making atonement for our sins. Reconciling us to the Father through his finished work. Giving eternal life to the people that the Father has given him. It's the cross and the resurrection. And our unity can bear witness to the gospel. Have you ever thought about our witness, our unity in this church as a witness to unbelievers? Have you ever thought about that unity that way? A common witness to the lost world. It is. It is. Some schools have school uniforms. And every student must wear this uniform. When you walk down the hallway, all you see is a sea of khaki pants and polo shirts. And the whole student body must be dressed the same. School uniform is an example of uniformity. And uniformity means sameness, identical, unbreaking, lacking difference. And uniformity, when it goes to certain other areas of life, it creates tribalism that isolates, divides, and despises. Unity amongst believers is not uniformity. It's not because of the source that unites them. I would try you in God. Rabbi Zachariah says, unity in the Trinity, only in the Trinity is there unity and diversity in the community of the Trinity. Unity and diversity is in the Godhead. Think about that. One God in three distinct persons. I don't know how that's, how, how that's happened. I don't know how that's fully explained it. I just know it's real and it's supernatural. There's unity and diversity within the Godhead, and that becomes a model for us. Okay? Not politics. Not socialism. Not social movements. Diversity is a model for us because we see it in our God. One God in three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And because of that, there can be functional unity within the life of any church. And that unity... It admits the diversity is a witness to the lost world. But do you believe it? On Tuesday, my wife had lunch with my son at his school. Now, he's in the third grade. And one of his friends asked my wife if he can join them for lunch. Now, his friend's name is Bradley. Now, he, he's a little white boy, but he's cool. And Bradley puts his arms around my son and says to my wife, this is my brother from another mother. I love that. This is my brother from another mother. Christians, brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters from another mother in Christ. But do you live it out? Do you live it out? Do you live it out? Got Christ supernaturally unifies in his body different types of people. People who otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with each other. Think about that. People from every tribe and nation, tongue and culture are brought together through the redemption of Christ, through his blood. We are adopted into God's diverse family, adopted to be brothers and sisters in Christ, members of God's household, fellow citizens with the saints. And in that, there is diversity and unity. 
Christ prays that they all may be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus wants the supernatural unity that all believers have within his body to be functionally experienced in this life. You don't have to wait until we get to glory to experience unity amongst believers. We don't have to wait until we die to do that. We don't have to wait until we die to say, I love that person. Like a lot of people are going to do with John McCain now. They all going to love him now. But they love him when he was alive. Beloved, this is communion of the saints. Is what Jesus is talking about now. Communion of the saints. It's living in fellowship with other believers. It's doing life with other believers. It's saying to them, hey, I need you in my life, and you need me in your life. It's celebrating our differences. It's, it's not simply going to church together. It's being in each other's life in a way that builds one another up. Sister Slayer says, we are family. I got all my sisters and brothers with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. Everybody can see we're together. As we walk by, we, we, we fly just like birds of a feather. I won't tell you no lie. All the people around us say, can they be that close? Just let me state for the record, we're giving love and a family dose. Our unity should be us giving love and a family dose to one another. And in that, we bear witness to Christ. The way that we embrace and extend his love is a witness to the lost world. How can all these people come together who don't look the same, who think different? How can they be together in one congregation? Why? Because of the blood. That's why. That's why. We are, we are around, we are surrounding ourselves around something that is greater than who we are, that's greater than our individual cultures and families. We are surrounding ourselves around the cross, and that's what draws us together. That's what keeps us together. That's what helps us functionally live out the unity. It's the cross, the blood of Jesus. So it allows me to say, you're my brother, you're my sister, and I love you, and I need you in my life. There's nothing in the world, if the cross isn't able to draw us together, nothing all creation will. Nothing all creation will. Football and stuff, that only lasts for a moment. All the other things that we are unified with people around, that stuff only lasts for a moment. There's only one thing that lasts forever, and that is Jesus. That is him. That is his kingdom. That is what he came to do. That's the one thing that ain't ever going to go away. And that's what draws us together and keeps us together. Jesus prays, he says, I have made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The love of the Father is in you through the Holy Spirit. You can embrace that love. Do you know God loves you? One of the greatest freedoms it was almost like a second conversion for me when I realized God still loved me when I missed my quiet time. That was like a second conversion for Pastor Alex. I missed my quiet time, and I, and I, and I finally believe God does not hate me now. He still calls me son because that's who I am. That's not who I'm trying to be. It's who I am, and that's who you are if you have faith in him.
child. There's nothing you can do to change that because Christ is the reason you can call him father. And that love can be in you and you can embrace that love more and more. Do you embrace it? I ain't talking about earning it. You can't embrace it if you're trying to earn it. What I'm saying is embrace it because you already have it. To the full. There's nothing you can do to make the Father love you more because he loves you more now. All of it. 100%. We have a hard time believing that. But he does. And the more you embrace that, that that unshakable love, a love that will not be taken away, the more you're able to extend it. Paul says in Romans 8, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And some of you need to believe that. Nothing means nothing in the Greek. (laughs) In the commentaries, nothing means nothing. In the NSV, the NIV, all the translations, nothing means nothing. Okay? You don't have to have, you just meditate on that verse. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe it. That you are accepted in love. And the more you embrace that love, the more you should be able to extend it to one another in a family dose. Because we can't functionally live out our unity if we don't love one another in practical, tangible ways. Because loving one another is a display of our unity. It's a witness to the lost world. Christ says, by your love for one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Not behind the causes you get behind, but the way you love one another. So this means our serving each other is a witness here. Our walking alongside of one another in the spirit of mutual brokenness is a witness. Us keeping short accounts with one another is a weakness. I mean, it's a witness, not a weakness. A witness. Because we're going to sin against one another here. You're going to hurt my feelings, I'm going to hurt your feelings. That's part of family. But what we do, we reconcile. We reconcile. Come to me. Come to me and be reconciled with me if I offend you. You have the freedom to do that. And we can meet for coffee at Starbucks and we'll talk it out. Come. Our unity is a witness. Our maintaining of the unity and the of peace and the bond of peace is a witness. One Christian writer says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value in our own life in order to enrich the life of another. Love is a willingness to surrender that which has value in our own life in order to enrich the life of another. This table is an example of such love. This table is an example of such surrender. Christ isn't calling you to do something that he hadn't already done. Think about that. He's not calling you love in a way in which he has not already loved you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And this table is an example of that for all who have saving faith in Jesus. This meal is for those who have come to faith in Christ, those who have received him as Lord and Savior. And when we share this meal together as a body, it too is a common witness 
to those who don't know Christ. It too is us sharing the gospel. He gives this table to his people. He gives it to his people for their spiritual nourishment. The spirit is the one who takes these common elements and nourishes his people through them. The bread and the juice. Now, if you have saving faith in Christ, this meal is for you. And if you don't have saving faith in him, I advise you to let these elements pass you by. Family, friends, if you don't know Christ in faith, I, I'm glad that you're here. And if you have questions of what it means to know Jesus and save in faith, please come see me after the service. And I will tell you how you can have rest for your soul. I can tell you how you can have forgiveness. And it's all found in Jesus. Adults, we ask the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table that you, by the session of the church that you attend. Now, I need all the kiddos, the village church kids, Please look at Pastor Alex. This meal is a reminder to each and every one of you that Jesus loves you. Okay? It's a reminder that he came and died on the cross for your sins so that you can have a real relationship with him, a real relationship with God the Father. That's what this meal represents. And as your pastor, it's my prayer that each and every one of you come to saving faith in Jesus. And then one day you get to take this meal with your parents, or your guardian. That's my prayer for you. That one day you too will come to know what it means to rest in a Savior who loves you with a love that will never let you go. If you can leave this church knowing that, oh, I'd be so happy as your pastor. As the elders come forward, I ask now we have a time of silent meditation to ask the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table.